Welcome to the Office Space Podcast with your host, Dougal Jeppy, where he and his guests discuss relevant topics that are affecting occupiers of office space. I am pleased to introduce Brett Swango to the Office Space Podcast. Brett Swango is head of workforce analytics for Colliers International. And as of this morning, was named Global Rising Star at Colliers across the whole globe. So I had the pleasure of uh, working with Brett when he was based in Chicago, when he was in the brokerage community. And I can say it's nice to see someone who is hardworking, smart, interested in learning and humble get recognized in our company. So congrats, um, Brett, on the award and uh, welcome to the program. Appreciate that very much. Uh, Dougal, it's uh, certainly a output of an environment as well as, you know, obviously there's an individual element to this, um, but certainly a product of my environment for sure. And I've been, been blessed with a lot of opportunity. So just trying to do my best I can to take advantage of that. Well, that's awesome. So uh, today we're, the topic is going to be around growing markets and specifically where the workforce uh, wants to work uh, now and in the future and where we're, what kind of trends we're seeing. Um, across the country and even across the globe. And so you really have your finger on the pulse of um, the workforce and so you're the right person to kind of talk about this. Let's start off, if you wouldn't mind, just giving a brief overview of your practice and why it's valuable at Collier's. Yeah, so we, we really view, especially for office users, we really view your labor strategy as kind of that linchpin that connects your business objectives with your real estate, right? Because what is the point of all those really nice office buildings is they're ultimately there to house people. Well, they don't do you any good if, if the talent pool that you're searching for is not in that, not in that respective market. So, um, you know, quick, quick background too. So I came, I've been at Collier six years now, um, but backgrounds in finance and insurance. So have my, uh, CFA and then also spent a good portion of my, uh, for kind of the first half of my career at Allstate, uh, insurance company. So there I was kind of, I'll call it the middleman between, the, you know, the, the front lines and the salespeople and ultimately the back end, like the actuaries and the brains of the operation. So kind of playing that, that translator, if you will. Um, and, you know, obviously given the state of the labor market today, you know, there's 3 million more job openings than there are unemployed individuals. Um, the quit rate, you know, just looking at September data, the quit rates at an all time high, 4.4 million people uh, quit their job last month. Uh, we're expecting, we're seeing the highest wage growth over the last two decades. Um, it's certainly an employee's market. And given the rate of change in the world, you know, the disconnect, I know one of the terms that we've been throwing around internally is the disconnect between the existing solution set in the world and the, you know, the requirements of our customers has maybe never been greater. Because, you know, if you're talking about something like e-commerce, right, like we're, at 20, you know, depending on who you ask, somewhere between 2025 and 2030 demand levels, um, you know, whether that, and then if you think about working from home, kind of the same thing, like people, you know, they may have forecasted some level of this uh, shift, but they didn't expect it to come, you know, in two months, they thought that might play out over the next 15 or 20 years. Um, so given all this, it's, uh, you know, if we think of a business as nothing more than people, processes, and technology, well, it's, you need the people to design the process and ultimately implement the technology. Um, so in a changing world, the value of human capital is, is it's at its highest because you know, there's all these new problems and you need smart people to figure out how to apply technology to, to solve them. Um, so I, I think that we're, 
uh, we're kind of just uh, we're still in the early innings, honestly, of this on this one on talent. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, being recognized within Collier's, you know, as a global rising star means first you're young. So congrats on being young. You're rising. You're not seasoned, yeah. as they say. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, second, secondly, obviously, you know, I remember you uh, talking to me when you were here in Chicago about, you know, you know, doing more of this kind of work, work, workforce stuff. And you, you essentially kind of created it. I know with another fellow, so congrats on really building something from nothing, but uh, you know, the company recognizing the need for it um, and kind of ad adopting. And the other thing that kind of, I find uh, just interesting is, you know, you coming from Allstate and here we are, you know, in 2021, the Allstate campus is being sold, right. And it's being sold to an industrial developer and boy, is that some kind of, you know, indication of, of what we've become in a market, right? And where, where labor is going, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we may or may not be in discussions also on doing some, uh, some demand side and labor analytics around that asset as well. So yeah, it's, it's fun to be kind of reconnected to that one. Yeah. Well, good. Um, so looking at the top markets, what are the top markets that employees are moving to and what do they necessarily have in common? Yeah, I guess I'll maybe step back from that direct question and just say a, a little bit of a trend that I think we're seeing with, you know, it, part of it's attributable to, you know, this increased, you know, people have called this the quote unquote great resignation. Uh, some terminology that we've been using is, well, it's the great resignation or it's the great innovation. Um, it's kind of up to individual organizations to decide which side of the spectrum they want to be on. Yeah, people have been kind of untethered uh, is another set of terminology we've been using from the, the ball and chain of the urban core. And they ultimately can, you know, can be working anywhere for the most part. Uh, I was on a people analytics, uh, was speaking at a people analytics conference yesterday. And one of the other speakers on the panel with me um, was the head of human capital insights from Medtronic. And he was talking about some of their devices um, that they're deploying and where that enable surgeons to do surgery remotely. Uh, I was also on a call with the head of real estate from Amgen recently and talking about some of their top in kind of lab technicians, you know, medical scientists are also working remotely now with robots that are physically present in their labs. So, so many of these jobs that I think people like, including myself, thought, oh, these are always going to be really tied to geographic proximity. Um, you know, that that's no longer the case, right? So if people can work from anywhere um, and if people can, in theory, kind of live anywhere, where are they going to go? Right. Well, we know that 25 to 34 year olds are about twice as likely on average to move. Um, we know that the average age of a college educated woman when she has her first kid is 29. We know the average age of a male when he has a kid is 31. Um, so ultimately, um, you take those data points, you pair them with, you know, I'm right in the heart of kind of the, the spike in demographics that was a product of when the largest generation that was baby boomers had kids. So I just turned 31, uh, was born in 1990, and that is actually peak birth year um, for millennials. So what does all that mean is, okay, people who are, you know, there's the most people who are in that kind of 29 to 31 year old age gap. We know that that's also when people have kids, which typically causes them to move and, you know, favor more space. So frequently they move to, you know, the suburbs or wherever, if they need to be geographically proximate to the urban core for their job. Um, and then we also know that, again, that group, that 25 to 34-year-old group segment uh, or cohort, if you will, um, is disproportionately likely to move. Well, then you layer COVID on top of all of it. And it's basically like if you're not tied via family or via kids or in one of those jobs 
that are, that require you to be, you know, physically proximate, you know, I'm in a spot with a lot of, I'll call it my peers that have said, Hey, I kind of can go anywhere right now. So where am I going to go? Um, and frankly, like me and a buddy of mine, you know, I spent the last year in Tampa, uh, and, uh, we, you know, we did a study, uh, from February of 21 to February of 20, we looked at the top 30 metros across the United States. So this is just pre COVID to, you know, a year into COVID basically, and said, which of the top 30 markets have grown or shrank and only seven of the top 30. So about a quarter had actually grown. And of those, you know, there's 330 million people in the United States, roughly, we're adding about a million people a year. So growing about a third of a percent, only four of those seven markets were growing at more than that third of a percent a year. And those were Phoenix, Austin, Tampa, and Vegas. Well, if you look at, you know, there was just some data that came out here a month or two ago on which markets and Brett, have seen. And were those? Go ahead. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Can, can you talk about the demographics of that growth? Does that fit into the 25 to 34 that you're talking about? Yeah. So when we look at, you know, of, of all the metrics that we look at, what are the kind of the leading indicators of the growth markets? It's they had kind of the commonalities. We looked across the top 30 and kind of segment them on high, medium, low across the number of things from, hey, what was their year over year growth pre-COVID? What was their cost profile? You know, looking at tax rates, looking at cost of living. Um, what was the remote worker profile of those markets? Because one of the big indicators, uh, and this is something I was saying early on in this, it's like, if you want to know where people are going to go now that, ev- like not everyone, but let's just say a much larger pool of the population can work remotely, look at where the, you know, even though it was a smaller segment, where the remote workers were pre-COVID. So if you look at kind of the top five growth markets that we looked at when we looked at that February over February, all of those other than Vegas actually had a disproportionately large amount of remote workers pre-COVID, right? So that's been another kind of, it's, it's a lot of this is understanding what are the metrics that matter? And then how do we use those metrics to kind of forecast what we think is going to um, gonna happen in the future? Another key metric that we saw is that, um, you know, the markets that lost a lot of people, we've also done some, some ranking on out of the, you know, whatever 800-ish occupation codes that exist, which of those, looking at some uh, academic studies, which of those jobs are most, li- are most likely to be able to be done effectively remotely? And if you're a city that had a disproportionate amount of labor types that could work remotely, you probably were disproportionately negatively impacted by COVID. Because what that's saying is that you had a lot of people who could go work from anywhere. And we also know why do, why do millennials like cities, public transportation, events, you know, being able to be, you know, in close proximity to their friends. Well, w- with COVID, you had all the cost of urban centers, um, but none of, but all those benefits, i.e. public transportation, yeah. <laughs> i.e. <laughs> none those, of the benefits. All of that got removed. Exactly. Right. So it's, yeah. it's very intuitive that people would typically move. Most of that movement we did see, um, looking at county level data, people mostly mm-hmm. moved in a tangential county. So they didn't go to a whole nother state. They didn't go to a whole nother region. Most of them just went, you know, a lot of them, it was, I, I can't remember the number. I think it was like two and a half, either two and a half or 5 million um, kind of 18 to 29 year olds moved back in with their parents, which is a massive segment of the workforce. A lot of them moved back in with their parents. And now you're starting to see that flow back into cities. Um, but again, it really comes down to similar to the, the analysis my buddy and I were doing when we decide where to go. It really came down to uh, water, weather, and taxes. 
And if you could get somewhere that was kind of favorable um, with the, you know, in the, and obviously cost of living. And ultimately, you know, if you look at the, the Phoenix, the Austin, the Tampa, um, the Vegas, you know, the other three that were growth were San Bernardino, um, Charlotte, mm-hmm. and uh, surprisingly Cincinnati. Wow. I didn't hear Nashville in there. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it didn't, it didn't. And uh, transparently, uh, you know, I don't know if that was in our, uh, if it was in the top 30, I mean, depending on how you measure um, kind of your top 30 metros. Yeah. Uh, I, I know, I know pre COVID. Yeah. Pre COVID there was a lot of um, talk of, of Nashville and then there was also, as a result, there was some concerns about it getting a little bit more congested and, and not as um, cost effective as it was, you know, um, a while ago. Is, yeah, we did so, not have we did not have Nashville uh, just for transparency. We did not okay. have Nashville uh, in that analysis. I was just checking, okay. uh, and, and that is again. But it's another one where if you think about, I mean, there is definitely a, you know the proximity to the Smokies uh, for sure. Mm-hmm. But a lot of why people live there, is, yeah. you know, it's that music scene. And I, I was yeah. I was just there, and I'm blown away by the LA influence in Nashville. And I do think <laughs> that part of that, you know, uh, obviously the entertainment factor. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see. Yeah. And um, we all kind of inherently understand the types of jobs that are, you know, lend themselves to more remote opportunities. But are there types of jobs that traditionally just don't, you know, I mean, or are you seeing, you know, more professions uh, be stickier in terms of like, you know, law firms or any others? Yeah, I I think there's a there's a cultural element as much as there is like the actual work itself. Uh, and I think you just probably brought up one that jumps top of mind. Um, there was a law firm that we were doing some work with uh, that pre-COVID, they they knew that they were not necessarily attracting the best young talent because of the requirements they had of how much you needed to be in the office. And mm-hmm. they were fine with that. They actually, from you know, in light of COVID, they were kind of forced to work remotely. Mm-hmm. They have now gone such a 180 that their growth strategy is actually to attract uh, top, you know, top lawyers and, you know, up and coming lawyers in markets outside of their core market, which is in kind of the the West. Mm -hmm. And so that's how much of a, I guess, transformation. And that's kind of goes back to my point on the, this is a once in an organizational lifetime to reevaluate, you know, your real estate portfolio. And typically, you know, when, when do we do most of our work? It's like M&A and leadership change. Because mm-hmm. when there's, you know, M&A, it's like, hey, you know, we've got a whole another dynamic. We should probably be evaluating this stuff ground up. Hey, we've got a new leadership group. You know, they aren't, you know, it was not their logic that got us in our prior strategy. So they want to start from scratch. Well, even in both those cases, mm-hmm. there's some level of like, hey, so everything is changing. So much is changing with our business. We mm-hmm. don't want to like spook people. So let's not do anything too dramatic in these areas. Now, mm-hmm. I think people are like, hey, let's blow this thing up and figure out if our, you know, and the other big piece is, what is the talent pool that we're going to need? You know, what is the talent pool that we're shooting for in 2030? Right. And you've seen all the stats on, you know, both the jobs that are going to be eliminated via automation and the number of jobs that are going to be created uh, given the level of technological advancement that we're, you know, expecting and experiencing, um, you know, in this post COVID world. I mean, one of the benefits of, you know, I mean, there's been a lot of questions over the last couple of decades is what happened to the productivity growth in the United States? Like, why aren't we being more productive? Because ultimately, that is one of the core metrics that's tied to, you know, the well-being of a civilization. We have seen a significant uptick in that over the last uh, 18 to 24 months. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is kind of one of those metrics that says, hey, you know, automation is coming. And that's which is another 
whole nother topic, but we did a, we did some research. And if you look at the last three recessions, so 91, 07, um, Oh wait, sorry. Nine. Yeah. 91, uh, you know, Oh one, the dot, the dot com crash. And then Oh seven, each of those was followed by a period of increase in automation. And part of that is because even though you think your labor costs would go down, actually the burden on the system goes up. So typically you see an increase in the overall kind of quote unquote cost of labor because the, the, you know, the unemployment system becomes uh, there's more mouths to feed, if you will, in that. So, mm-hmm. And consequently at that same time, you have downward pressure on rates. So when you think about the ultimate trade-off of labor versus capital, it's like all of a sudden your labor is becoming more expensive. The capital is getting cheaper. That tells me, Hey, I should invest in automation. Well, if you take that, so that's the way it's put out the last three downturns. And then you layer on the fact that this, you know, technical recession was almost, well, it was exclusively driven by a human born virus. And who were the companies that came out best in this? Those who'd already invested in automation were least reliant on human capital, you know, even from like a manufacturing or a distribution perspective, like those companies came out best. So it's like you, you tie that historical perspective with the you know the most recent causes of this downturn and it's like yeah this this automation is it is absolutely coming um another example of that and it's maybe a little off topic but i was blown away by this stat uh we were talking to a group in tulsa oklahoma who had in uh invested in this robotics uh this robotics tool that basically it was a gun manufacturing facility and the the robot basically sanded the trigger um that was the input to the gun and it took the rejection rate on that on that product from nine percent, so basically one in eleven being rejected to 0.2 percent, a 45 x mm-hmm. improvement, and the payback period on that robot was less than two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. you know, and so some of this stuff that was like kind of I'll say like a little bit like science fiction, um, yeah. you know, it's coming to reality. And then and then the last point I'll make on that too is I think the the willingness of organizations to lean into innovation and like what you know you've heard the sayings about like well the the riskiest thing that you can do is do nothing Mm -hmm. and i mean even look at what facebook right i mean i don't know what they're probably a top 10 market cap company in the globe right now and they've just totally said hey we're actually not only are we doubling down on this whole metaverse concept we're literally changing the name of our company right and it's not and they're not doing that that from a place of weakness they're Mm -hmm. doing that from a place of strength Mm -hmm. so that's like another kind of you know i think it's obviously in a very specialized arena, but I thought it was a good kind of symbol to the market of like, hey, this is where the world is going. So you need to either embrace this change or be ready yeah. to go the way of the dinosaurs. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. And are you seeing um, any difference between an urban core growth versus the suburban within yeah, a community? I, you know, like take, yeah, take Austin, it, it, for example, or... Sure. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that, again, the demographics would suggest just because that's another part of a lot of this, right, is urban cores have actually been declining, you know, depending on the research you look at, urban cores have been declining since 2015. Um, And part of their rise was with my generation. You're you're talking specifically on population. Yes, exactly. Specifically on population. Um, And with the idea of like, people were like, okay, well, a lot of this stuff, there's a couple books, big shifts ahead. Um, and there's another one that I can get you a link to in the po- There's a couple different demographic books that have been very instrumental in my thinking, because a lot of this stuff is actually very predictable and it's driven by demographics. Uh, obviously, they're kind of along something like a, 
like a pandemic, uh, and it it certainly accelerates things. But these changes were already happening. Um, so I think with the millennials and my points earlier about us being kind of the largest cohort after the after the boomers, uh, as we get a little bit older, get in that triad rearing age, want to get out of the the dense urban core. And then obviously, again, you have all the stuff that everybody else, you know, nothing new here, but the violence, um, you know, that's something that, you know, even in Chicago here, it's been very unsettling to see the way, you know, this city's evolved over the last 36 months. Uh, and it certainly hasn't been for the better. And again, if you think about, you know, what was the, you know, five years ago, it was like, oh, millennials are going to want to be here forever. They're going to raise their kids in the city. Well, even if you're willing to put your own life at risk, you know, the risk, you know, of putting your, you know, your family, I think that's becoming a, uh, increasingly difficult burden to bear when you're doing that kind of cost benefit analysis of where, where you want to spend, uh, mm-hmm. you know, spend your next, the next decade. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you see a possibility of, uh, employees, whether or not it's, you know, the Gen Z's or your generation kind of, uh, picking a place where they're going to, you know, they're going to live three months here, three months there, three months kind of bounce around, um, not necessarily in the gig economy with the same company, but just kind of try some different places. Is, th- is there a trend towards that at all? Uh, you know, and again, maybe I'm biased because I, you know, I think the people that you surround yourself with have an impact on how you see the sure. world. But yeah. I, I think it's certainly, I think that's certainly a plausible scenario. Uh, again, it certainly depends, just like uh, the propensity to work from home, right? Like that comes down to a few different factors. One of the big ones, like whether or not you want to work from home is what, how old are you? Because like we know that like 20 to 29 year olds, you're still starting out in your career. I mean, I can only imagine, I mean, I was already not very good at my job when I started. Uh, and let alone the fact if I would have been doing it from my, you know, from my kitchen table, like, to, I mean, I didn't know anything coming out of college and really leaned heavily on the people around me to yep. shepherd me and show me how the professional world works mm-hmm. and trying to do that remotely. Like, I mean, talk to anybody and that, that doesn't really work for, mm-hmm. you know, especially that kids who are first couple of years out of school. Me, yeah. yeah. Got over a decade of experience. Like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. I can do my work from anywhere. I don't necessarily need to have my hand held. Um, yep. And then you look at like, you know, r- people who are kind of in that last, la- you know, last five or 10 years of their career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They like the ability to come in the office every once in a while. Um, so I think those, those demographic perspectives uh, matter a lot. And so if you don't have kids, and you're established in your career, yeah, I bet you do want to hop around. Ray Dalio actually talks a lot about this in, uh, in his latest book. And I think that we're, we're seeing some of this here in the United States. I don't know how this is going to play out over the next five, 10 years, but the, the disproportionate financial, or, or I guess the inequity, if you will, across various states' fiscal health, and you look at a state like in Illinois versus a state like a Texas or a Florida, um, and the challenges that they're having and what those ultimately those pension obligations are doing from a tax perspective, as I'm looking at that as a, you know, a 31 year old who's pretty mobile. One of the scenarios that I've like laid out in my own mind is, Hey, if my family's going to stay in Illinois, there's a scenario where I could actually go and instead of living here and then traveling in the summer, I could basically live in a, you know, low tax environment for nine months of the year and come back here and visit my family for the summer and you kind of get the little bit of the best of both worlds. So I think that you are, you know, we're, we're doing this with a lot of our, uh, a lot of our private equity investment banking clients that are thinking about a second office or, mm-hmm. you know, a third office out of Chicago or excuse me, out of mm-hmm. Chicago and New York. They're saying, mm-hmm. Hey, actually, you know, we worked remotely for four months in, you know, whatever in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, like that was a pretty nice option to have. 
we should open a satellite office down there. I do yeah. think that there's going to be a lot more weather arbitrage being played by individuals. Yeah. Um, the other piece that I think that COVID has kind of brought to the forefront is this concept of the trade-offs between time versus money. And I think that's part of why people, you know, you've kind of seen this, you know, you know, this great resume earlier. Um, if you, I would also recommend people check out Jeff Bezos letter to shareholders um, when he's talking about kind of the mission of Amazon and ultimately what Amazon is doing for the world. A lot of what he speaks to is the value of time and how much time he's given back to the, you know, to Americans. Um, and I think it's a very pertinent point. So thinking about what the cost of that commute is. Um, and ultimately the, the ability to, you know, live in a location that's higher quality of life and not mm-hmm. have to put up with that commute, I think is the mm-hmm. value proposition on that is, is increasing. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I, and I guess, I think the average Americans understanding of that value proposition is increasing. Right. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting to contemplate all that. I think, you know, we're, we're talking about a time and space right now where, you know, we've got unprecedented you know, low interest rates, we've got low unemployment, we've got, you know, we're in the, still in the midst of COVID. So um, it's very employee favorable. Uh, if that shifts and when it shifts, and we know it will, and whatever that other shoe to drop is, another virus, wherever the case is going to happen, the market's going to change, things will change. And it's a question of, do we go back to more of the you know, come back into the office, more centric, more, you know, be in the urban core where you're, you know, less agile sort of thing, or do we adopt, you know, you know, more of a hybrid lifestyle in general, uh, like we're doing right now. So I mean, I don't don't know if anyone really knows the answer, Uh, you know, but these are things that I know that, you know, the companies I work with, they're, they're contemplating they're you know, because you're making long-term decisions and you're basing it on what's happened in the last two years and so how much of what's happening right now is going to continue to move forward, right? Yeah, yeah. Core principle of finance, right, is you don't make long-term decisions in light <laughs> of short-term uncertainty. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do want to have a plan. And you also want to you know, understand, like, have a few different scenarios on where the world could go. I also think that the, prob- like, the probability of a four-day work week in our lifetime is exceptionally mm-hmm. high. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you think about like, you know, some of the ways socially that we're trending, you know, I think getting more European-esque with the, between the diversity and inclusion and the, you know, greater focus on like ESG and environmental uh, factors. And you look at the way that a lot of like, you know, Western Europe kind of looks at work. And I would say they, whatever it is, the same, like, you know, you don't live to work, you work to live. Um, I think that that's something, that, you know, there was some, uh, I was having some conversations, I was out in the Bay Area a week or two ago, and a couple of different folks um, from various large tech organizations kind of shared that belief that, you know, I think the world that we live in today, what does technology inherently do? It inherently enables fewer people to create more of the value in the world, right? Um, because it, which goes to some of that impact of automation, someone can write a code and, you know, construct a robot that ultimately can replace, you know, hundreds of workers and consequently millions of dollars in overhead each year. Um, I think anyone who tells you that they're, uh, you know, with a high degree of certainty of here's what the world's going to look like in, you know, 12 or 24 months, let alone five years from now. Um, you know, I, I question the, you know, I question their judgment. Um, but what we do know is I think some of the fundamental drivers are going to remain the same. I think the war for talent, I think regardless of what the economy does, is going to continue to accelerate. Um, I think the need for more data-driven decisions uh, in light of uncertainty, right, relying on that data and having a more systematic process on how, whether that's a company deciding where to locate, 
Um, you know, I think that that's going to be a continued trend that we uh, that we see in the future. And then I think the you know the growth of the high quality of life, um, attractive weather profile, low tax environment um, is going to continue to proliferate. I mean, as ultimately the market's getting more efficient, right? Like you have better. Even when I, you know, I think about like to take a, a little bit of an off the cuff example, but when I think about when I was making a college decision, right, I had such little information regarding what the environment looked like, um, you know, uh, you know, what, what employers were predominantly hiring from those schools, what in, you know, what income I could expect to make out of school with, with various degrees. And now all that information is really readily available. And consequently, you have a pretty efficient market, um, you know. So I think that the continued proliferation of technology. Um, the, the other thing I would say is because it's an employee's market, some people are talking about trying to force their people back into the office. I think that's a really challenging proposition because you know those employees who are disproportionately tech savvy have disproportionately accessed information, i.e. You know, they're active on LinkedIn. They're getting pinged by headhunters regularly. Um, so it, it's going to be really interesting to see the way it plays out. Yeah. Well, a lot of good thoughts were shared here today and I really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to seeing what comes out of uh, the future of your practice as it, um, you know, really develops and matures. And so uh, let's talk again, maybe in a year and, uh, and look back and look forward again. Yeah, absolutely. I pr- appreciate the opportunity. Sorry, that was, uh, you know, potentially a little all over the place, but there's uh, a lot of really exciting things happening and it's uh this is a really fun uh, market to be an employee in because there's, there's a lot of new challenges and a lot of consequential new opportunities. Absolutely. All right, Brett, thanks a lot. Thank you, Dougal. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Office Space Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time.